Hello, and welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. I'm Peter Bregman, and I believe that the best leaders don't try to do it alone. As the CEO of Bregman Partners, my mission for over 30 years and the mission of this podcast is to help successful people like you close your leadership gaps, grow as leaders, and inspire your team, inspire all the people around you to get great results. With us today, we have partners in crime, Kershat Ozench and Margaret Hagen. They have written together the book, Rituals for Work. Kershat is a strategic design consultant and at SAP Labs, he's a lecturer at Stanford University D School. We've spoken to a number of people on this podcast from the D School, it's an awesome school. Um, Margaret is director of legal design lab, Stanford University of Law School. She's also a lecturer at the D School. They've written this terrific book, um, incredibly practical. It's uh, Rituals for Work, 50 Ways to Create Engagement, Shared Purpose, and a Culture that Can Adapt to Change. Welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast, Kershat and Margaret. Hi, thanks for having us. Hi, hi. thanks for having us. I'm so happy that you've been able to join me. Let's just start with, like, why the... You know, this is this is the most practical book I've read in a really long time. It's actually literally filled with things to do. And I'm sort mm-hmm. of curious what led you to write the book, like why you felt like it was a useful, needed book to write. So I think it started um, with a uh, class that we have been teaching at this school. The class is called Ritual Design. And uh, over the years, I think it's been now we are in our fifth year in the class. I think that one, one of the starting points for the book is really how do we design or bring intentionality to workplace culture. So, and when we, we are both designers, so I think our, uh, when we approach a design problem, we always look at the practicality of things. So that's why I think we thought, oh, if, the, and we see over the years, uh, we observe that there's a real need to bring intentionality to workplace culture. And uh, I think that was maybe the starting point of yeah, why we wanted to write the book. And also, yeah, we collected lots of examples from organizations uh, and we ourselves or the students designed these rituals. So over time, it's almost like a yeah, snowball. It created a uh, collection of rituals. We thought we should share these with the, with the broader uh, community. So that's how I think it started. And yeah. So let me ask you a couple of questions about that. So when you say bring intentionality to uh, to work culture, um, I have a couple of questions. One is, do, have you found, do you have a sense, have you done some research around whether these rituals actually impact work culture? Because there's so many elements of work culture that seem unmovable and, and you know, like so structurally embedded and... Like, and if I, if we do some rituals before a meeting or at different times, can we really impact work culture that way? So I know we built off of uh, a burgeoning group of researchers, especially in social psychology, that are doing that kind of research. I know Kirshad is starting out some research on exactly this question of work culture, creativity, collaboration, and how rituals might or might not um, amplify those. In the book, we review some of that literature in the most practical way possible mm-hmm. with these kind of controlled studies that are coming from the worlds of sports, 
the worlds of consumer products, um, the worlds of uh, kind of family life and other things that we can think of as pretty equivalent to some work settings at least, where in these um, social science experiments, the performance of a ritual, even if it doesn't totally make sense or it's not completely practical, does have these payoffs of bonding, of emotional stability, of resilience, of mm -hmm. these other things. So we know that there is this um, body of literature that does show a lot of evidence for the power of these rituals. I think rituals at work still is pretty understudied mm -hmm. from a social science perspective. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why we are collecting a lot of these, you could call them interventions or behaviors or rituals, is that hopefully we can do some more studies of them. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, like, I, I, there's a two-part question. One is like, what is a ritual? And, and then the second is like, what makes a ritual a ritual? This might be the same question, but what makes a ritual a ritual versus, hey, let's do something? Yeah. So I think we're pretty liberal and open uh, about the term ritual, um, kind of keeping it pretty flexible. There's a few components that I think are essential that divide a ritual from, hey, let's just do something. Mm -hmm. One is that intentionality or that awareness that something special, something meaningful, something momentous is going on. So a plain old routine that's completely thoughtless or something where no one is having some kind of higher <laughs> level purpose, of experience yeah. or purpose. That's great. So it's like we're going to we're going to do something but we're going to put some we're going to we're going to frame it and yeah. we're going to put some clear intention behind it that imbues the moment and imbues the behavior with some kind of particular significance. Yeah, yes. that, that meaning, and there should be that awareness of it. And it could come later or during. You right. might end up doing that. The other key factors are, is that it should follow some kind of pattern or script, mm -hmm. even if it's the first time um, doing that ritual. And I think that's where when we do ritual spotting and look back at our life and think, what are the rituals we actually have that maybe we don't call rituals? It's finding those things that follow the same words being used, same physical actions being used, but something of that repetition, mm -hmm. that's part of the power of it too. I imagine that it would be easy for us to find, if, if easy for me if I thought back to look at say, hey, here are some rituals I have. And even thinking in that way, and this might be, um, this might separate intention from impact, which is I probably have some rituals where I have a certain intention that I do over and over again that actually have a negative impact. And that, and that it's worth using that lens to think back, what are some repeated patterns of behavior or repeated you know, moments that I tend to, uh, like even if I, even if, you know, I'm just thinking personally, like I, I see my son in the morning and I say, good morning, Daniel, and he grunts. And then I say, why are you grunting? Why don't you just say good morning? It's nice to say. And so the ritual doesn't just become good morning. The ritual becomes with an intention of good morning, but it comes a ritual of his first experience of me in the morning is I berate him for not responding the way I want to respond. And that becomes the ritual of our morning. Am I thinking about this sadly, but correctly? For us as designers, we always want to think about getting to a more 
positive experience. But that's kind of, this is one of the exercises we do in the class is that kind of inventory or spotting mm -hmm. and then thinking about, hmm, how can we make that better? Is there some way to play off the grunt or is there some way to, yeah, to that change moment. that? Yeah. But yeah, recognizing that, that that routine or that pattern is actually some, it's an opportunity for improving that ritual or making it work for you in a better way and him as well. So, yeah. I mean, it's now it's amazing. So just thinking in terms of the construct of rituals can help us to change the dynamic of our rituals and to see what's working for us and also what's not like what, you know, what we're doing, what rituals we have that are unintentional and unconscious, but still end up impacting our culture. Yeah, yeah right. I would say we often talk about that as amplification or nurturing some things that mm -hmm. are almost proto-rituals that might be happening at a workplace or killing things off or, but kind of, yeah, having that gardener mentality. Almost that lens of, yeah, like bringing that, there's something here, but yeah, is it good? Almost that lens brings the intentionality and you can assess that uh, and then. Either amplify it or yeah, kill it. And that's really the ethos of the D Lab, as I understand it, the Design Lab at Stanford, which is like, let's be conscious of like what we're going for, what's the outcome we want, and then how do we design to achieve that outcome? And that's true in like every level. You know, I've talked to Dave Evans has been on this podcast, Bill Burnett has been on the podcast, and they're all like in in their own ways, uh, and also Bernie Roth. But it's, it's all about this idea of what is the outcome you're going for. And given that you're going for that outcome, how do you design your behaviors, your life, your actions to achieve that outcome? How can you be intentional? All right. So here's, here's my um, biggest question about ritual. And then we're going to get into some of the specific rituals. How do you manage the discomfort of bringing ritual into a place that ritual doesn't usually exist. So I'm with you 100% with ritual. When I run leadership programs, I do ritual. When I have my own meetings, I often do ritual. Leadership programs, ritual is critical. And every piece of the leadership program is designed with a sense of what is the outcome we want? How do we ritualize something to get there? But when I'm with a client or when I'm in a meeting or when other people are like, you know, they're leaders or maybe they're not even leaders in their organization. Maybe they're somewhere, you know, in the middle of the organization, but they want to ritualize things and they want to say, hey, guys or gals or folks, can we do this thing I want to do? I want to read a poem before we start. Right. And everybody <laughs> rolls their eyes and looks at them and they have they need tremendous courage to do that. And it could be a beautiful poem and bringing art, you know, as a ritual, a moment of humanity into a meeting makes tremendous sense. But you've got to be the person who's willing to go, hey, I want to read a poem before we start something. So help us navigate, you know, how to bring that kind of move, which is no question a beautiful impact. But how do you bring that in a way that doesn't um, make you shrink away and cringe in fear? So I think we've experienced multiple strategies and in the class and interviews, we've observed different things because every workplace and also every person is different in terms of their level of kind of ability to get people to go along with new and strange things or their power level in certain scenarios. Or even their personal experience, right, with ritual. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So some of the strategies we've seen be successful 
One is to do kind of an incubation small group. And that's oftentimes our partners in our workshops are the people who definitely want to change the work culture and are okay in their small group of two to five people kind of playing around uh, and doing that kind of design-like exercise of thinking, hmm, where could there be a ritual or what would work for our culture? Is it something that should be big and flashy or artistic and dramatic or something much more subtle? Mm -hmm. And then almost doing improv exercises or just playing around, uh, but kind of being in agreement that they're going to try something at work. And that's, it's, classes are really good for building those little teams. Um, yeah. But we know not everyone has that luxury of having kind of partners to work with. Mm -hmm. So one of the other things that we found as a good strategy is to, if you're an individual, to think about what already happens in the start of a meeting, at the end of a meeting, when someone is onboarded into your company and think, are there any hooks or kind of things that are already happening that then I could build off of? So it's not so strange or out of the blue. Um, but trying to introduce things that um, already have a hook or yeah. uh, something. I think the concept of moments, I think we always for, yeah, push students like think about these specific moments in during a work week, almost we map out yeah, like the routines, what's happening in a workplace and then look for those opportunity moments. But to answer, yeah, your, I, I get what you mean, like the challenge of introducing a ritual. Definitely, I think priming will also help. Like um, maybe before introducing the ritual, you can also uh, slowly uh, introduce this idea of culture building or, yeah, I think almost add a buffer to introduce the concept and then, uh, then introduce the ritual itself. Um, so priming is important. I also uh, heard like one other strategies to back up with uh, research, uh, I think, um, like I was listening to Jane Dutton, she was talking about high quality interactions, high quality connections. And whenever she does that exercise uh, with her um, like classes or with her partners, she always backs that up with her research. So that gives more uh, rational value. So that can be another one. Um, you know, yeah, I love I think, the thing you said about... I, and, and maybe the last one is, uh, again, from our experiments, like find influencers, like who are, or like charismatic people within a team, and then let them first maybe uh, recruit that person for your course, for your ritual course, and then let that person lead the session so then people can follow that person. I think that's another thing. I think that's a fact that in a team setting, you have these almost like an influencer relationship, like some people are leaders, some people are followers. So how do you find that natural leader and then first gain their confidence and then introduce the ritual? Yeah. Well, and it's also possibly one of the ways to become a leader, right? Which is to say, if you're going to be the one to start that ritual, then that imbues you with a certain leadership quality if you could pull it off. And mm -hmm. I, I want to underscore, and you have this as your principle number two, that rituals are done with intentionality. And you talked about it here in terms of framing. But I think one of the things that makes this difficult is we're, use, we're talking about using rituals to shift something in a culture, right? If you're using a ritual to create or shift something about the workplace culture, it means that chances are currently the workplace culture is not necessarily immediately friendly 
to the thing you're about to do, right? You're using it to change something, so it will take a risk. And I think maybe it's particularly useful to be able to say, hey, look, we are trying to, uh, I, it's, it's really important that we work really effectively as a team. That feels like that's something really important to us. And, and so it almost feels like, you know, the intention and then saying, and the words, and so, right? Like, like you know, this is what we're, this is what I'm trying to get to. And so I, it, I would really like us to go around the room and say one thing you appreciate about everybody, you know, like, and then, and, and start off with that ritual, linking it, labeling it and linking it to the thing that you want to change or to your intention and the framing. Yeah. And I think we've seen a lot of companies have already done the work of setting intentions. There's lots of culture manifestos or value statements. The disconnect is in what behaviors are actually happening on the ground. So I think that's one thing that rituals can be a way to say like, oh, hey, <laughs> uh, just kind of pointing back to these already established attentions um, and then linking this new behavior towards those things that should already be at least commonly understood as shared goals. Yeah. And, you know, one of the challenges to that is sometimes the values of the intentions themselves are the object of eye rolling, right? Like, like, because they're not, you know, like that, like, I think we're often dealing in, in, in organizational cultures with, with a sense of hypocrisy or, or a sense of, you know, distaste for this kind of thing. And so it's, it does, I guess I want to underscore as I think about this, that I, I do, I think there's like, all of these are really, really great ideas for, mm. for the, the skill of doing it. And it will require some courage to say, I'm going to step up. I'm going to change the way we do things. I'm going to do it with a ritual that some of you might roll your eyes to, but feels important to me. And, yeah. and, and like, whether you say that or not, that's going to be the feeling. Maybe it would help to actually say it. Uh, but, but that's, that's certainly the feeling. Okay. So let's talk about some rituals. Give us some things to do. And, you know, you've got these five areas of change, transition, creativity, innovation, community, conflict and resilience and performance and flow. And I, I, I think we could just like pick some that you think could be good to share with listeners, recognizing that our listeners are, are leaders and organizations and they're, they're people who work with leaders and organizations and, and um, what can help them to lead more effectively and lead with intention. Go for it, Kisha. Go for it. Yeah, we just have our list out in front of us. Yeah, that's great. Pick one you like. And actually, I would say, I would say pick one you like that you've really seen have an impact. That, you know, like, like very, all of these are practical. That's the point of what you've written. So something that you kind of really like for the impact. So I'll, I'll start. So okay. one that I really like um, that does require a little bit of that suspension of skepticism but really has a wonderful payoff is at the end of every class that I teach, even with very practical uh, and official seeming law students, having a pinning ceremony. So having something at the end of our nine weeks together where I read from a script and then have them choose one of five different pins and just literally pin it on their neighbor. Mm -hmm. um, to really mark, this is the end of our class together. We have actually made a whole lot of progress over the past nine weeks. Um, and uh, like, it's almost like a mini graduation ceremony. Yeah. Um, too much, it's just like a five minute ritual. It has such an emotional payoff 
for the students. Um, to, I think there's something about putting the pin on the other person. Imagine that pin put on them. And do you uh, do you um, let them choose who they're going to put it on, or they're? Well, they stand next to their. We, we I just say let's all get in a circle before right. we do our class evaluations or whatever practical thing is happening next. Uh-huh. And I don't tell them anything. And then I read from this very formal script that the design school had written out and laminated. Mm-hmm. So it is definitely an awkward. It's not class as usual, right. especially. Um, it almost feels like saying a vow or something mm-hmm. kind of special or solemn is happening. And are you saying um, something specific to that person? You're saying this is some, a way you've shown up or this is a... No, you're, you're reading that script. I'm just reading the script of now we have officially kind of ended this design school class. I can't remember the exact wording. And then they but pin they, their partner. Part of this community and you can always come back and... Yeah. This is like the end. It's kind right. of the marking of the end of this phase and the com- an accomplishment for them. And right. I think it's a really important kind of transitional marker. I love yeah, that. Also, I love the whole idea yeah. of transitional markers, right? Like, yeah. because otherwise you miss that moment. So it's a, it's a, it's a matter of creating that moment. You know, I, I used to be an outward bound instructor and I, and a Knowles instructor. And I went on an outward bound course when I was an instructor without telling people I was an instructor just to, you know, like go on a, on a course. And I'd never been on an outbound course, so the you know I was kind of leading them and designing them. And they were like, "You should probably go on one." So, and at the end of the outward bound, there's a ceremony with a pin, and they uh, and actually in that case, someone in the group chooses you and gives you a pin and says why they've chosen you. Um, but it but there was this real sense among the instructors of this pin. We don't just get, you can't buy this pin. This pin doesn't like just, you know, like this is the only way you get this pin is by doing this, you know, by going to, and, and I'm, you know, now 52. So that must've been at least 30 years ago. And my kids went through something of mine. They were like, Hey, what's this? And they found the pin from 30 years ago. Oh, well, let me tell you, I knew exactly what it was. I knew exactly what it meant. So it just reinforces that idea. Yeah. I think that's it's yeah. very true how much significance that can have. Also, I think in uh, when you are in this school, there's this yeah. Once you complete the course, you, now you're a designer. That kind of uh, almost like a, you have a new identity with you. I think that's also uh, the power of this ritual. I think. Now, do yeah, rituals I- lose their value if you do them too often? Like if every single class pinned you at the end of every single class then would it just be like, okay, well, can you pick up my pin? Cause I gotta, you know, go to lunch. <laughs> yeah. I think for that one, it's, it's really important to have it be kind of a big surprise payoff and kind of this more once, you know, once a year or almost like a real graduation that you get it after four years. Right. A lot of more small rituals that we do do every week to, you know, do warm ups or cool downs or understandings, um, mm-hmm. but they don't have as much emotional payoff or kind of almost bringing you to tears, kind right. of. Right. It's great. Yeah. Oh, so, sorry, just... Kershaw, you had another one? Uh, yeah, maybe. I think right now it's very um, popular, but I can, it's still worth talking about the check in rounds. That's another ritual we found in our research. We also do with our teams. I think that gives. Um, there are different variations, like you can um, create your own version, but the idea is uh, asking people emotionally how they are feeling in the moment, and, and then it's, uh, 
it's almost, I think, uh, this idea of even you are in a practical like work setting, first understand where people are in their uh, personal lives, where where they they are standing, and then once you make that connection, I think it will be easier for you to work on that practical stuff later. I think that's another ritual I like, and it also translated very well to the this virtual work context. I think now I observe like lots of teams are right now doing this kind of checking rounds. So, so yeah, I think that might be another example. And it seems like for that one, intention is very important. Meaning if I say, okay, let's all check in, and then I start doing email while you're checking in, that that could be like a ritual that has the opposite impact. It shows I'm actually particularly disinterested as opposed to being <laughs> interested. So like how you show up the respect you give the ritual feels like that's very important to the ritual. Yeah, definitely. I think that kind of almost a common, yeah, attention, giving your attention to that moment and right. then sharing each other. Give us a, let's see, give us a conflict and resilience ritual. Definitely. Um, so, yeah, this was actually one of the harder ones to get people to talk about. You can understand why, but we think that there's actually a lot of power for ritual to help deal with fights and conflict in the workplace. Mm -hmm. So one that um, we saw actually work was called burn the argument. We actually saw this develop in two different workplaces. So I think there's something about fire and burning <laughs> that is like a, a common theme, something about that. So this is literally after there's been a big or small blow up and maybe other team members have been made aware of it um, to kind of have this meeting of bringing the folks who were either witnesses or involved in the fight, the, um, the argument, together, writing out your side of what happened, also what you want to see happen in the future. So just a little bit of kind of reflection, but then the real key is the actual destruction and burning. Or of tearing, yeah. yeah you can, you can tear it. Workplace friendly. <laughs> or you can go out to a safe place and, and burn the stuff together. But the goal is to have this moment of catharsis and to recognize and move on from the argument or from that kind of high tension rather than letting it stew or trying to paper over it. Mm. Um, I think that was a theme that we definitely heard and there could be other kinds of rituals on top of that, but like the processing of some kind of negative blow up that yes, happened at work. So does the blow up, is the, is the idea that the blow up has been resolved and that's the point at which you do it or there's like the blow, let's say you and I have this disagreement and I'm super mad at you, Margaret, and you're super mad at me. Like, at what point do we write this and then burn it? I think what we saw in practice was it was a day after or after the weekend. So something where um, someone realizes that this thing is kind of still in the air and needs to be cleared out. Right. Um, I think we saw it also develop. The other setting was more in kind of a small startup kind of environment. And then you can think about it um, if the team is smaller, about it happening sooner. I think the first environment we saw was a larger corporation and then the rumors start to spread and you know that feeling of the atmosphere changing. So the goal was kind of like after giving it a few days, realizing the atmosphere wasn't clearing, then to use this to um, say like we're moving on. How do you help people use that to move on? I mean, I'm sort of thinking about like you know, two kids are in a fight and you make them hug to make up. And they're like, you know, hugging is not going to make me like this kid anymore. Like, I'm going to do it because you're making me do it. But so 
how does the how do you imbue that moment with a significance that has impact as opposed to going through the motions but still hating the person and speaking badly behind their back? Well, partly is having something dramatic like an actual burning flame, whether it's outside at your company's barbecue station or something else, but having something a little bit out of the ordinary that it's not just a forced conversation in a boardroom, but that you are doing some physical activity that's kind of you've never done before at work. Um, So something where there is that physical destruction. uh, Mm -hmm. Of course, the reflection and the processing and putting your words down on paper should be part of this whole moving on thing too, but the actual destruction is really key too. Also, I think another key thing is maybe um, having some neutral party like maybe if you are the manager of that uh, like two people uh, maybe invite someone that are neutral who are neutral to the situation and then let them yeah, i think it's not an easy task if you look uh, yeah frankly it's like you need to prime the, the both sides and also have someone that they can trust or they can at least say oh, okay this person will be neutral i think that's another key thing yeah right. um mm-hmm. give us one for performance and flow Oh, yeah, this is something our students have been very interested in. And oftentimes these are much smaller and less dramatic. Um, So here I'll talk about like the rock and the touch here for magic powers. Both of these are very small, not a big deal kind of rituals where you just imbue symbolism into an object. So for one of our students that was literally carrying around a rock (laughs) with him, And when he needed to write a paper or finish a problem set or kind of get something done to put that rock physically next to him and say, once this rock is out, I am going to go into this state of work and I am going to be focused and get Mm -hmm. this done. Similar to that is the touch here for special powers. This is one I created and live by, kind of building off of the, if you know, the Notre Dame football play like a champion sign that people hit on their way out of the locker room. Uh So I just made a little watercolor and put it on my wall. And every time I pass it, I just touch it. And I don't really believe that it gives me magical powers, but it's just this small little activity to just mm-hmm. have a like a little wake up moment to say like, all right, I'm going to do good work today. Yeah. Um, so not a big high stakes thing. Uh, I also yeah. like the amp up rituals. I think um, we collected a couple of them. One of them was from Aisha Birsal actually, like before a high stake meeting, you almost yeah, need to boost your confidence and energy. So you either sing a song, do some like power-up poses, and I think it really uh, gives people this kind of, oh, okay, I'm ready to go out and then uh, do my thing, do my performance. I think that's also works for me, at least I have a couple of them myself, yeah. It's great, and it actually, you know, sport. there's, there's a long history of, of sport of athletes, you know, who do a series of movements before, and and actually, it, it it occurs to me there's a way in which that's really powerful, and and there's a way in which I wonder if if it could also maybe become a crutch, like like a superstition, like oh my god, I didn't touch the sign, I didn't go through those movements, I'm screwed, like like oh, on the ritual, yeah, yeah, like depending on the ritual and how it is. But, uh, but I love that. It also reminds me of the, I can't remember who it was. I think he was a physicist. I can't remember his name. But he was famously atheist and, and, and like a skeptic and a scientist. And he had above his door a horseshoe. And one of his students came to him and said, you know, but 
you you have a horseshoe like above your door. I thought you didn't believe in that stuff. Everything you write about, everything you say is you don't believe in that stuff. And the professor answered, I, I don't believe in it, but I understand it works whether you believe in it or not. <laughs> yes. I think there's something there where even if you know it's kind of silly, and this is kind of getting back to overcoming skepticism, even if you know it's silly, you can also feel the difference of actually, you know, touching something or doing something or repeating something. So, yeah. 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 There's even a research study when you call it a ritual, it increases your performance. Yeah, that's interesting. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, we have been speaking with Kershat Ozench and Margaret Hagen. Their book that they've written is Rituals for Work. You could also say Rituals That Work or Rituals at Work, but it's called Rituals for Work. Um, 50 Ways to Create Engagement, Shared Purpose, and a Culture that Can Adapt to Change. Kershat, Margaret, it has been such a pleasure talking with you about this. Thank you so much for being on the Bregman Leadership Podcast. Thanks, Peter. Thank you. Thanks so yeah. much. Thanks for listening. Here's what I've learned from working with some of the most successful leaders of the most successful companies. Every leader, every team, and every organization has a leadership gap. If you want to become a leader who inspires your team to get things done, then you've got to start by raising the level of your leadership abilities. You can start by taking our free leadership gap assessment at www.bregmanpartners.com forward slash quiz. Then dive deeper with a copy of my latest book, Leading with Emotional Courage. For more ways to become a truly great leader, check out our online offerings, in-person workshops and events, and my articles at www.bregmanpartners.com. Again, thanks so much for joining me today, and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.